Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. It says there, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's uh, commit this time to him and, uh, and ask him things blessing. Father, we thank you once again for your precious word. We just thank you that through it we find life, and through it uh, we are able to grow into that image of your precious son. And we ask this morning, as we uh, look into it, that you would be our teacher, that you would be our guide, that your spirit would be opening up the eyes of our understanding, that we might know your precious truths, that they might transform us on a daily basis to be more like our Saviour. That we might be lights in this world, we might be a blessing to those who live in darkness, we might be a comfort and, and, and edification one to another. So we ask that you'll bless our time. May honour you. We thank you for this opportunity to meet in this way, and we pray for your blessing upon us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, while the world um, has celebrated the end of one year and the beginning of another, people are uh, spending time reviewing how last year was, committing to new resolutions, and I'm sure there are some of you that have made some new resolutions uh, for 2021. And many set themselves some goals. You know, when you look back uh, on the, the past year and you, you say, all right, maybe I could do things a bit better in 2021. Uh, so there are people in that sort of transition mode at the moment and they're looking to see, all right, what can I do to make this year more successful than the last? But they set themselves goals. And goals are not a bad thing. Now, goals are important for every area of life. Um, many goals, though, are designed to extract as much life as you possibly can from the days that we have. To be your best, to achieve great things, to attain some sense of achievement in one's life. And success for people is measured often in many different ways. For some people, um, it may be buying a new house. Maybe the goal they've set themselves to buy a new home in 2021. For others, it may be paying off your home. For others, it may be creating something new or finding a new job or being promoted at your job. Or For some people, it might be losing five kilos or <laughs> maybe more. For some people, it might be creating a new project or you know completing their education or something along those lines. They're okay. It's good to have all those goals. It's important to, to see progress, and, and, and part of life is change. And, and people feel like they want to be able to control what's coming next, so they've got some sort of a say in it, and that's okay to, to set goals for yourself. For some people in this world, though, success in 2021 may simply be surviving it. Some people who struggle to even get a plate of food in front of them. So getting through 2021 may be their picture of success. If I can get me and my family to, to get through this, maybe that will be enough for them. 
Where do you sit today? Much of what people do, though, is based on simple fear. Fear is a, a huge motivating factor. Some people in our culture fear not being able to live life to the full. You know, when you, when you live in a rich country such as ours, um, some of the biggest fear factors are based around not being able to accept as much as I can out of life. Because I don't want, I want to experience as much as I possibly can. And if I don't get to go on that holiday, if I don't get to achieve this or that, then they feel like failures or they've lost something. Maybe some fear not being able to keep up with others. They see your next door neighbour. I mean, how many projects have we seen during the pandemic of people fixing up houses and painting and this and that? All of my neighbours around have all put up different fences and lights. I've got lights at the moment all around our house at night. Like all our neighbours around have put lights up, and so at night they run, they just leave them on. So there are Christmas lights and spotlights and things all over the place. My backyard is literally 24/7. It's it's lit. <laughs> Okay, my trees are growing like never before, so that's okay. Some people are, are afraid of falling behind their neighbours or falling behind other people around them. So you think about that, that, that tends to seep in, you know, because our culture and marketing tells you if you don't have the latest this, you're falling behind everyone else. Some people are, have the fear of disappointing someone else. Some people live their lives trapped by other people. They live their lives to satisfy other people, and if they don't satisfy them, they fear that they're going to be disappointed in them. Some people are afraid of losing, missing opportunities because it may never come back. And if I miss that opportunity, then, you know, oh, what's going to happen to my life? Some people are afraid of being rejected. They're afraid of taking a chance. They're afraid of asking something. They're afraid of approaching someone because they're afraid of being told no. Sometimes it's just too painful. Some people are afraid of dying. Some people are afraid of feeling like failures and so on and so on. Fear is a very strong motivating factor, that's for sure. But what about us? I know that many believers have made plans for this or that this year, and some of those plans may look exactly like the rest of the world. It may be to go on a holiday, or maybe to do this or to do that, maybe to eat better, to exercise more, to read more, study more, or you know, build something, or do this or that. Maybe to spend more time with your family. They're okay. Because we have to live in this world as well. And the Apostle Paul, I'm sure, didn't make, didn't mend nets and stone nets for the fun of it. You know what I mean? But shouldn't our goals be different to the world? I mean, we are meant to be different, aren't we? We, we are meant to have a different angle on this thing. We're supposed to be different to the rest of the world, but sometimes we look so similar, it can be a little bit concerning. And I think... But the type of goals you set yourself, the type of things you look forward to, really depend on your perspective. Perspective plays an important part of where you are going to pour out all your energy into. And where you're going to focus in this coming year. What you're, what's going to motivate you? 
what angle you look at something from will often reveal what your motivating factor is. For example, if I'm standing in front of an oncoming car, my motivation is going to be what? Fear of being run over, and I'm going to be motivated to do what? Run. <laughs> now don't try and outrun the car, because you'll probably miss out, so you think the trick is to go sideways, okay? But my motivating factor being in front of the car is going to be different from someone behind the car. They're not going to be worried about being run over, are they? So they're, they're not going to be motivated at all to do anything. Or someone watching from the side. Or maybe someone sitting inside the car is going to have a different motive as well because they may see me. Their motivating factor may be to slam the brakes on. Do you see? The same event, the same circumstances, and everyone has a different angle of looking at it and will respond differently. So you'll perspective will motivate you in a certain way. It'll determine what you're going to do, what your decisions are going to be, what your motives are going to be, what you're hoping to achieve from it. The guy in front of the car is going to just be hoping to get out of it alive. The guy inside the car is going to be hoping he doesn't run over the person. Or maybe he wants to run over the person, I don't know. Your perspective will even change your experience depending on, on, on what you're, what you're going through. Two different people going through this very same thing will have com two completely different experiences, but both of them are very valid. But it depends on their, on their perspective. For instance, if you put, have you seen a racehorse? Big beasts, aren't they? It's powerful animals. Well, if you put a jockey, how big are jockeys normally? They're a bit small, aren't they? They're short, guys, right? They're light. Now, compared to me, a jockey is normally a lot lighter, smaller. I don't know if I'd beat him in a fight or an arm wrestle, but you put a jockey on a horse like that, and they'll take control of that huge animal, and they'll make it run to the best of its ability. Put me on a horse. <laughs> And put me in the starting blocks, you know those things that uh, open up? And either I'll fall off the horse in the starting blocks or faint. Right? Your perspective, your angle from where you see things from, for example, the jockey's point of view, it's his job. He's done it, he knows it. It's something he just does. It's something he knows he's trained to do. For me, riding would be a miracle. The jockey's motivating factor, therefore, will be to win. Whereas my motivating factor will be what? To get off the horse as fast as I can before I break my neck. Your perspective, the angle from which you look at things from, will determine where you spend your energies and what you're going to do. The jockey will look for more racing, racing opportunities. My energy will be to avoid it. And our experiences, our past experiences, often fuel or feed our perspective as well. For example, if I was trying to learn to ride a horse and fell off five times in a row and injured myself every time, I probably wouldn't be thinking about making horse riding my career. Our experiences often feed our perspective. It builds it. Okay? Um, but our perspective as Christians should never be like the perspective of the world's people. Never. And I'll tell you why. It's because 
We don't just exist, exist as people from this world. We are no longer, the Bible says, people of this world. Our citizenship is actually no longer of this world. When we became citizens of heaven, when, when, when Jesus saved us and cleansed us, and through him we became the children of God, we became the citizens of heaven. And all of a sudden, our perspective had to change. The Bible even says that we no longer see each other or Christ the same way we saw before. Or we have to. That has to be true. Because we are no longer the same people. We are no longer people that see things from the world's angle. We've been called to see things from heaven's perspective. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. It's a fantastic um, book about perspective. And about the type of angle we should be looking at things from. Because while the, the people of the world look around and down and up, we are called to be looking down from heaven on this world. Ephesians 1.17 says that the God, this is the Paul's desire for the Ephesians. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. We'll just stop there. Paul's desire that their eyes would be open. In other words, they'd get enough light from God that they, were, they would actually see. You know, there's a certain point where you get enough light, you actually distinguish what's going on. And God's uh, and Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was, I hope you get enough light from God that you can actually see what's actually going on. What the reality is. Because the reality is that we have a hope in his calling. An amazing hope the world does not have. We have riches in his glory. The world doesn't have. We have this amazing power that is for us, not against us. Do you see how that can give you your perspective and should give you your perspective? The way you look at your life and the world around you? Do you see fear as a motivating factor here? No. No fear. Because a child of God isn't motivated by fear. That's what I want to look at today. Turn forward to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says there, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, Quickened us, that means made us alive together with Christ by grace, ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now just dwell on that for a moment. That when we were sinners, God not only uh, cleanses of our sins because he, he showed us amazing love through His Son, but He gave us new life. He raised us from the dead because we were spiritually dead. And he has made us to sit with Christ in heavenly places. And that's why the Bible says we no longer walk by sight, but we walk by faith. Because that faith uh, is the eyes of our understanding. 
He might say, well, it has a lot of eyes got to do with, uh, with uh, perspective. You know what? When God gives you light, you know, you, when you're in bed, you're sleeping in the, and someone opens the window, let's say, and light comes through. You can see the light through your eyelids, can't you? Mm-hmm. You know that there's light around you. Um, and that's a bit like a believer. I think there are plenty of believers still with their eyes half shut, to be honest with you. Sleeping in the light. They know the light's there. But they need to open their eyes a bit more. So they can actually see what's going on. Too many believers sleeping in the light. While the world is dying in the light, we're taking it too easy. This passage in Ephesians, and the, the whole book of Ephesians really goes on to explain our new citizenship in heaven. Our new home, our new identity in Christ Jesus. And that makes how we see this world and the hope we have different to everyone else. And my fear for Christians is not only that their eyes closed, but they get caught up in all the fears and all the, the, the dredges of this world. Too much. They get dragged down with it. We represent a king and a kingdom that is not of this world, but will soon arrive to this world. During the last year, many people have struggled with mental illness. I'm not sure if you see the latest statistics and you see the news reports of people who are struggling so much because they've either been locked up, they're fearful of getting a, this, you know, or getting getting infected. Maybe they're fearful of infecting someone else if they get infected. They're worried about this or that. They struggle. Um, it's noted that the rates of suicide, depression, anxieties have all increased over the last year. And that's not a surprise, really, when you think about what the world's been through. But it also makes sense when you consider that we've been digesting a constant diet of bad news. If someone keeps feeding you the same dish, you're eventually going to become the dish. The daily news from around the world has never been really a source of hope. I mean, if you look to the news for hope and for, you know, clarity and some sort of, you know, look in the wrong place. The news only ever picks out the worst examples of what's going on in the world. So I would suggest people don't spend too much time watching the news because I think people have been glued because we have mobile phones, smartphones. A lot of people spend a huge amount of time just watching what's going on. And as soon as something happens in the world that's, that's negative on the other side of the planet, immediately they, they know about it and they, they can react to it. And I think that is not the way God intended us to be. Never in history have we had every bad news that happens from, every, from the corner of the globe arriving to us in an instant. Never. So we are like guinea pigs in an experiment. Many people have struggled. An alarming study has recently come out of the US and found that when they asked young people, I think these are teenagers and young people up to about the age of 21, they asked them, have you had any thoughts of suicide or ending your life in the last week? Do you know that one in four, one in four, said that over the last week they thought about somehow ending their life. One in four, that's 25% of the population thought of actually killing themselves 
to New Saldin. That's how desperate I am. Now that is a shocking statistic. But it also shows you where the world's at with its hope. The believer, though, has all the tools available to him or her to help deal with these emotional problems. Because we do have a, we, we too have a flesh, like the world has. The, the, the difference is that we now have a new nature to deal with that flesh. You have a new you that is able to look at that flesh and say, well, this is the way it's reacting. Um, maybe I need to change something. The world lives in the flesh. We are now separated from it, but carry it around everywhere we go. Christians are not immune from depression, anxiety, and other forms of, of, uh, of mental problems. But we have things that this world does not have. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. And that's what this passage is really speaking about. As we look forward to 2021, we have a hope the world simply does not have. We have a perspective that the world does not have. While they feel as if they're drowning in, a, in an ocean of despair, we can be, we're sitting with Christ in heavenly places looking. We can look down and say, how can I help? How can I be alive? Because I, I'm okay. Even if I died tomorrow, I'd be fine. In fact, I'd be in a better place than I am now. No, no, we're up there with Christ. The problem is we often forget. From the world's perspective, this passage I read to you actually makes zero sense. No sense at all. Actually, it sounds stupid when you read it to someone who's in the world. Look at, look at what he says in Romans 8.35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You know, someone from the world might say, Hang on a sec. Um, you mean to say that when you go through tribulations and distress, when you don't have clothes to put on your back, when you're being attacked with, with weapons and swords or whatever else it may be, when you go through famine and perils, um, it shows Jesus loves you? Really? Shouldn't your loving God actually keep you away from all those things? You know, philosophers, I've studied some philosophy at, the, at uni, have leveled you know, the pain and suffering they see in the world, and they use it as an argument to prove, and that's in huge inverted commas, right, that God doesn't exist. Right? And, and, and the argument is pretty simple. You know, if God is all loving and all powerful, uh, then there'd be no suffering in the world. Well, that's ridiculous because where's human freedom in all that? Where's the ability to be able to make bad choices as well as good? And if God were to intervene every time we made a bad choice, then where is your freedom anyway? You've got nothing. You can't do anything. If every time that I was going to make a wrong decision, God was going to step in and change it so that it couldn't affect anyone else, what type of a... We'd be robots. We would not be human. And so anyway, so they sort of use that argument against the existence of God. Um, but this verse actually turns it on its head, that whole argument as well. Paul is arguing that none of these things, if, if we experience them, believers, children of God, the saved ones, none of these things can ever, can ever convince us that Jesus doesn't love me. That's what it's saying. It's saying, as a believer, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens. And, and think about, and Paul's speaking from his own perspective, right? 
Paul knows what he went through, stonings and beatings and shipwrecks and all that sort of stuff. And he's saying, you know what? Um, there's nothing. doesn't matter what you go through in life. The faith that is in us, the new nature that's in us, will always see Jesus as loving us. You can't be convinced, doesn't matter what you go through, that he has stopped loving you. You look at Francois Soret, we've been praying for his family, and he, he's gone through a terrible time the last few how many, how many years have you struggled with cancer? Three years. Now, he's a missionary that we support, and he followed God in obedience to start a missionary uh, a church in Mauritius to his own people. That's his background. And now he's with the Lord in heaven. And someone else is taking that ministry up. And you ask, why, God? You don't know all the answers to all those things, do you? But you know, with all the... And that would send regular updates. That would say how he's going and what the treatment was and could we be praying for this, that and the other. We've been praying for the last three years for him. You know, not once in any of those letters, not once in his final uh, letter, nor his family... Did they ever say, you know what? We think Jesus has stopped loving us. You see the point? A believer will never get to the point. Never get to the stage where they say, Jesus doesn't love me. Because they know Jesus loved them. And that's why Look at Romans 8.36, it says, As it is written, and this is to make it even more contrary, As it is written, Paul says, For thy sake, that's for God's sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. <laughs> and Paul wears like a badge of honour. We're like sheep for the slaughter. That's us, Christians. We're doing it for you. For your sake, we're being slaughtered left, right and centre. We're being persecuted, killed, massacred, rejected. You know what? We know Jesus loves us. How does this verse fit into the modern prosperity gospel? That tells you that God proves his love for you by giving you all these things. And yet this verse is saying nakedness, Famine, peril, sword, distress, all those things are for the Christian. And that we should be counted as sheep for the slaughter. We should count ourselves that way. Ever wondered why we are conquerors in this passage? It says we are conquerors. It's because God has granted us a nature that is unshakable and can never be destroyed. Now, one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons that we believe in eternal security of the believer. A believer will never, ever get to the point where he will say, Jesus is not Lord. And that's not me that guarantees that. You know who guarantees that? He does. Because he gave me the new nature. He put his Holy Spirit inside my heart, which seals me to the day of redemption. He holds me in the palm of his hand. It's not me. So that I can have confidence in His grace in my life. Despite how bad a job I do of it, there is nothing that can change the fact that He's adopted me 
as his child. Yeah, he may discipline me. Yes, he may allow me to go through certain things in life. But there is nothing that can change my relationship to him. How can you ever... Can someone ever come and convince you that your parents don't exist? Could, could they ever do that? Could someone ever come and, and actually convince you and try to use all types of different arguments and say, you know what, you weren't really born, you have no parents? Of course not. If you know your parents, nothing can take that away from you. But this is the same with our Heavenly Father. Nothing can take that away from us. That relationship is there, it's solid, it's real. And because Jesus has done what he's done for us and has changed my whole life, there's nothing that can take that away from you. And that's why it says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It's his love for us that's transformed us. It changed us. It, for the first time in our lives, allowed us to love and understand what love actually is. And that's why these things like famine, sword, and not having clothes to wear, you know what? Are little nuisances to the Christian. They are not life-changing things. They are not eternal-changing things. No matter what we go through, what 2021 brings us, or what, 20, what you've been through in 2020, it does not affect your eternal standing with God. It doesn't change His love for you. Doesn't change the fact that he, that, that he gives you grace. It effect, doesn't change the fact that he's your heavenly father. Yeah. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you and me. And don't let the devil, and this is what he will try and do, don't let the devil ever, ever try and convince you otherwise. Don't let the devil, and this is the, the game that he plays, and he played it with Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you remember? He said to them, he goes, he doesn't want you to have that fruit because he knows the day you take that fruit, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want you to have what he has. He's holding out of you because he actually doesn't really love you. And he will play that same game with every believer who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. He will try that same tactic all the time. He will say to you, look at what you're going through. You're going through this because he doesn't love you anymore. You're going through this because you did something wrong. And now he's going to, he's going to give it to you. And the devil is smart at showing you that you don't have a way out. You see, if you do something wrong, what should you do as a Christian? If you sin, what should you do? You confess it, right? How many other things do you have to do? Do I have to go walking on my knees up a mountain? Do I have to whip myself with a thing? Do I have to confess it to everyone in the church? Do I have to live with that guilt for the rest of my life? No. You see, the Bible has a simple way of doing it. It says that God is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all that, from all unrighteousness, not some, or if we simply confess. But we make it more complicated, our flesh makes it more complicated, and the devil wants to complicate it as much as he possibly can. Because he wants you living with guilt for your entire life if he can. Because if you live in guilt and fear, 
but you're not living in freedom. And he would rather have you bound. Do you think these masks are bad? You think that being in lockdown is bad? Well, I'm telling you, the devil has many Christians locked up. And he's had them locked up with masks. They can't talk to anyone else. He's convinced them that they're no good, that they're useless. He's convinced them that they have no spiritual gifts to offer. He's convinced them that there's no responsibility for them anyway towards the other believers. He's convinced them of so many wonderful things that he's got them in a spiritual lockdown their entire lives and they don't realise what's going on. And if they simply came to their father and said, Father, I know I did something wrong. Please forgive me. He would restore you in a moment. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sins. You know, some of us have felt that we've been through a fire this past year, right? Uh, some of you may feel a little bit singed on the, on the edges. Some of you may feel well cooked. Some of you may feel completely charred through. Some of you may feel worn out, maybe confused, maybe perplexed, maybe frustration. But let me share a very important lesson with you. Turn to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 verse 16. Please pay very close attention to these words, each and every one of them. Because he tells us in 1 John 4, 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. Now let that sink into your minds. Meditate on those words. We have known and we believe the love that God has toward us. We know and believe it. If you're a born-again believer this morning, you are a precious, precious child of God. And you dwell in His love. Because God is a, a loving Father. And He loves His children. And He never, ever gives up on His children. But people in the world who have children, who don't have God, don't even believe in God, whose children go astray, maybe they get themselves into drugs or anything, don't give up on them, do they? And you think God's going to give up on you? Who has more endurance? Whose love has more endurance? The love of a, of, a, of a person in the world or God's love? Of course it's God's love. I'm having a discussion with a, with a friend of mine who believed you could lose your salvation, and he said, oh, yeah, you know what? It's a bit like, you know, when you're walking across the road, you know, and, you, and, uh, and you're, you're walking across and you're with a child, and, uh, and the child lets go in the middle of the road and then gets run over by a car. So the child lets go of the parent's hand, and the, and the child runs, and, and, and they get killed by a car. That's like losing your salvation, because you let go of God's hand. 
Which parent here, who has ever had children that's crossing a road, is not the one doing the holding? Or are you allowing your child to hold onto your hand while you cross the road? Who controls the holding here? The child or the parent? If you're a parent who's just holding on, allowing your, your, your child to hold onto your finger while you cross the road, and then your child lets go of your finger and gets killed, who's going to cop the blame? The child. What's the parent going to say in the court of law? Oh, he was, so, he was holding onto my finger and he let go. Really? That's going to hold up. You think God is any less? Well, God loves any less or protects any less? Of course We are in the Father's hand. We are in Christ's hand. He will never ever let us go. His grip is stronger than mine. But in that loving environment, where you have perfect love for you, and you have perfect power, why should fear exist? Why would we fear anything in life? Nothing. I mean, think of the Christians who were slaughtered in the Colosseum in Rome, who were thrown to lions and things, and they, and they went out singing. They were there, standing, standing, praising God, and the lions were ripping them apart. You might say, oh, oh, but if we were in that situation, what would you do? Would you be praising God? Or would you be saying, God, why did you put me in this situation here? We live a very shelf, we live a very privileged life, we do. Because we don't live in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. We don't live under persecution here. We've got it really, really easy. We complain about wearing masks. That's our that's our huge burden that we bear. We complain if the government does something that we don't agree with. What's unbelievable. And yet there are people who are living in constant fear of a knock at the door. And that they and their family are going to be taken away. Our relationship with God needs to start with knowing and believing that He loves us. And that love is constant, it's pure, it's never-ending. And the suffering and the persecution, the peril, whatever we may endure, as a Christian, will often be intensified in the world. Because we don't belong to it anymore. You know, it's you can you can lessen your suffering if you just go along with the flow most of the time, can't you? But God has not called us to go along with the flow. God has called us to go in his direction, which is often against the flow. But at that time that can make your peril, persecution or suffering more intense. But you know what? Every time I get to suffer for my Saviour, every time I get to do the right thing rather than the wrong thing, every time I get to share His name, it's an opportunity to perfect my love for Him. Because His love is already perfect for me. And Paul is a perfect example of it. He went through so much but never, never, ever denied his Saviour. There's a little story in the Old Testament that pictures this type of very odd thing. It's the story of three, three vegetarian mates. Now you're thinking, aren't you? Three vegetarian mates, right? 
Um, and, and with typical Aussie names, too. Right? Um, you've got three mates Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Abednego, I have to apologise to the guy, and I'll get to meet him one day, I'm sure. Um, I have to apologise because if I don't focus when I say his name, I end up saying Bendigo. Right? But it's Abednego, not Bendigo. But anyway, in this story, these three mates who have pretty good positions. Uh, this in this story, King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the entire world, the most powerful man on the planet, um, with ultimate authority and power. Is he has the authority to kill people, to do whatever he wants, okay? As a sign of his tremendous ego and vanity, um, has a golden image made of himself, as you do. He then decrees that at the sound of the musicians, when the musicians start playing, that everyone should bow down to that statue of him as a sign of worship of his great awesomeness and power. In other words, it's supposed to worship the statue, which means indirectly worshipping him. Um, and if you don't, you'll be thrown into a furnace alive. There's your fiery furnace. Sound demonic? Yeah, I'm sure the devil was playing a very nice hand in this particular game. I'm sure he inspired Nebuchadnezzar to play this thing. And if you think of it, it almost parallels what's going to happen in Revelation. Yeah? Where the Antichrist, they set up an image of the Antichrist and everyone has to worship that image. So these three fellows decide, nah, it's the right thing to do. Because the Bible teaches that you are to worship none other but God, right? So they knew their commandments well. Anyway, they didn't do that like everyone else around them. And so they get dogged in, as you do. But turn a bit of Daniel chapter 3, verse 12, and I'll just share with you just this little story, just to illustrate one particular point about how God loves us. So they're, they're being dogged in, these three. And it says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. There were certain Jews who now set, and this is, their, this is the fellow, the people dobbing them in, right? There were certain Jews who now have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready... That at, at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, uh, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be, you shall be cast the same hour in the, into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
we're not careful to answer them in this matter. In other words, we don't care. Be careful. We don't care, right? We know exactly what we're going to say. Verse 17 says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Be it, uh, but if not, so they, they, they were open to the idea that they, would, they were going to die. They could die. Okay? But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image of Satan. Oh, that's pretty tough guys there. Hey, they're pretty bold. Telling the king straight in his face, we don't really care about your rule. We're going to continue serving our gods. We are not going to be bowing down to your gods or your statue for that matter. And we don't really care if you're going to throw us into a furnace. God can save us, but even if he doesn't, you know what? We're still not going to do it. So the king gets so angry, he orders them to be tied up with their own clothes. And he gets his guards to bring them to the forest. And he gets he gets so angry, so upset that they would define him in that particular way. He says, heat up that oven seven times higher than what it was before. I want to make sure these guys are cooked well through. And so they tied them up, bring them to the furnace, light it up seven times higher than what it was, and they throw them in. And as they're throwing them in, the guys who were the actual guards who were throwing them in, they died instantly. Because it was too hot. They got too close. They died. The three guys. And in the meantime, these three are thrown into this furnace. So in verse 24, something goes wrong. Hang on a sec. These are the three guys that are dead. But I see movement in there. They're still moving around. And in verse 24, it said, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counsellors, Did not be cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, unto the king True, O king. He answered and said, Oh, I, I see four men loose. In other words, just walking around. Walking in the midst of the fire. And they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Nebuchadnezzar, you servants of the Most High God. Look at the, look at the, look at the thing. Come forth. He means come out and come hither and come to me. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Nebuchadnezzar came forth out oh, sorry, of the midst of the fire. So, in the midst of the fire, they were not alone. Did you notice God didn't put out the fire? But he sent his son there. And this is a wonderful lesson for us. You know, not that you can jump into a fire and not get burned, okay? But I, should be, I don't want you to be running around handling snakes and saying, look, you know, if I get bitten, nothing's going to happen to me, or drink poisons and improve everything. That's a ceasing guy, it's ridiculous, okay? But Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of the devil who demands to be worshipped. And if you don't worship him, he turns up the heat on you. And he can put you through some pretty difficult times. You ever read the book of Job? He can make your life very, very uncomfortable. And God simply has to say, all right, 
God didn't do it. And God may do it. God may allow the devil to do some pretty nasty things to you. Not because God's sadistic, but because in the midst of the fire that you're going through, guess who's there with you? And that's the moral of this story. That regardless of where you are, regardless of what you're going through, Jesus will always be there with you. And you will be preserved perfectly. I'm not talking about your physical body. Because you know what? God says we're going to die anyway. This physical body's going to be gone anyway. So who cares? It's like driving an old rust bucket. You know what I mean? Who cares? The thing's going to fall apart anyway. Why are we so worried about our physical form? The physical form is not going to last. God's going to give us brand new bodies. Who cares? But you will be perfectly preserved through the midst of the fire. Because Jesus is with you every step of the way. Trust in the love of your Saviour, who was promised never to leave you nor forsake you. God is glorified the most. When, not by putting out spot fires in your life, because oftentimes we pray to God, God, look, there's a fire over here, please put that one out. God, there's a fire over here, please put that one out. And God, and sometimes He answers those prayers. You know what? God is the most glorified by helping us to avoid every problem that happens in life. And God is most glorified when we go through the problem and we grow through the problem and we learn to love him more through the problem. Did Jesus avoid all suffering in his life? I'm telling you, no. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose and single purpose was to obey his father and to complete the plan, which was a plan of love, to save you, and me, God is most glorified when we simply obey Him and trust Him with whatever comes in 2021. Every opportunity, every trial, every persecution is an opportunity for us to learn and to grow. Now, Alan gave a message before. He said, who do you go to find out the answers to things? You're the one who knows. Guess who's teaching us? If you want to avoid every lesson in life, how can you expect to learn? And most valuable lessons to learn sometimes we go through those things. And as you consider his love for you while going through trials, I want you to consider the fire that Jesus had to endure to save us from the fires of hell. He went through the fire himself. On Wednesday evening, we looked at, uh, at the temptation of Jesus. You know, when the 40 days he was in the wilderness and the devil came to him and said, why? He knew he was hungry. He was worn out. 40 days, not eating. And he said, you know, why don't you turn some of these rocks to bread? But he can do it if he just asks or if he just point, point at them. They can become bread for you. Imagine the, the temptation. Well, what about if, you know, if you throw yourself off this cliff? It doesn't matter what happens to you. You'll be protected anyway. Just do it. Yeah, the devil tried his best to get Jesus at his weakest point and failed. But I want you to consider that that isn't the only time that Jesus was ever tempted. I want you to consider the amazing job that Jesus did in never having sinned in his life. Never. Um, 
He came as a humble lamb and remained of a spotless lamb at 33 years of age and gave himself on that cross for us. Now, think about just a quick comparison between Jesus and Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve had one commandment to follow. They were in a perfect environment. They had one tempter and one temptation, and they failed. Have a think of Jesus, right? Not in a perfect environment. He's got people in a fallen world. He's got people around him. No one understands him. No one's like him. No one understands. If you were completely unique, can you imagine what sort of life you'd have? You're the only person like this in the world. No one understood him. Not even his family understood him. There are, there are stories in the, in the New Testament where they come looking for him because they think he's gone crazy. His own family are at the door saying, uh, we think he's lost his mind over here. What's he doing? He hasn't got a house to sleep in. He's going around all over the place. He's going around with all these, all these people. He's been, he's been uh, crowded by people. We worry about him. No one's going to take him back home to Nazareth. Not even his family understood him. Even his brothers. And then he's got the devil on his back. Not just in those 40 days. Can you imagine the devil's focus on Jesus to get him to sin? Can you imagine the, the focus, the attention? Can you imagine not just one tempter, but all those devils trying to instigate people around him? Trying to say, you say this to him. Say this to him. What do you think all, the, all those Foolish Pharisees and Sadducees and that were all trying to attack him all at the same time. Who do you think is motivating them? Jesus didn't have one tempter. He had a horde of devils. He went through suffering as we can't imagine. Didn't fail. Not once. Not once. And he was by himself here. Even his disciples at his at his most critical time when he was about to be betrayed and brought to trial into a cross, his disciples couldn't pray one hour with him. And then it said they scattered. They left him. So in John chapter 16, it says, Behold, the hour cometh, the age is now, that ye shall be scattered. His closest friends, every man to his own, and you shall leave me alone. And yet, I'm not alone. Because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken unto you that you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What are you going to go through in 2021? I don't know. What have you been through in 2020? Only you know it. And God. Because He's been with you every step of the way. And if you believe in Jesus this morning, if you trusted Him for your salvation, then continue to trust Him. He's going to be with you every step of the way. And He'll give you all the grace that you need to get through anything that's coming in 2021. That's why Paul finishes with his amazing words. Romans 8.38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, 
nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want your motivating factor today? Love. Let his love transform you, change you. Let, him, let that love keep you focused on him. It shouldn't matter what type of year the world has had or the world will have. The question for us is, what type of year will heaven have? Because that's where we live. Heading to 2021 with great confidence because our Saviour has already won. His love for us is constant. He is with us everywhere we go. There is nothing that we go through that shows that he doesn't love us anymore. So use every opportunity you can this year to perfect your love for him. Determine that your greatest goal will be to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength. And you will have a very successful and awesome 2021. God bless you. Amen. Amen.